Our second Bible reading for today is from Philippians chapter 3, verses 10 to 21. So you can follow along in your Pew Bibles on page 1231, or you can follow along on the screen. So we have Philippians chapter 3, verses 10 to 21. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained all this or have already been made perfect, But I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. All of us who are mature should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. Join with others in following my example, brothers, and take note of those who live according to the pattern we gave you. For as I have often told you before, and now say again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven, And we eagerly await a saviour from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who, by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Here ends the reading of the word. Thank you, Crystal. We will be working through that passage verse by verse, so do keep your Bibles open to that passage. It's always a joy and a privilege to be able to reflect on and to think about what God teaches us. That's how we are nourished as Christians. Jesus tells us, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. And so, as we look at this passage, we want our minds, our vision, our dreams to be aligned with God's will for us. So, let's pray that that might be the case. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you that you do still speak to us. You nourish us by your word, which is good for us, good for your church and for your glory. And so we pray that as we reflect on these words from Paul, that our thoughts might be aligned with yours and that our wills too might be aligned with yours. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, friends, have you ever heard of the expression, Christians are so heavenly minded that they are of no earthly good? You have. (laughs) I want you to think about this statement, this claim. What do you think? Is it true? Is it a true claim of Christians? Well, let's think about it. We'll think about it a bit. Do we think about heaven a bit too much? It's the end of the day, you go to the mailbox and you look in the mail and you've got the water bills, the gas bills, the electricity bills and the phone bills and you think, oh, heaven, can't wait for heaven, no bills in heaven. Or you, you look around your home and the garden's overgrown, the lawn needs mowing and the weeds are growing where it should not be growing and you think, oh, heaven, can't wait for heaven. No curse of gardening in heaven. Or, or it's Monday morning. You wake up, you get ready for breakfast 
and, and, and you open the pantry and you realise, I forgot to get bread from church. Now I'm without bread for this week. And you think, oh, heaven, can't wait for heaven. No running out of bread in heaven. Or it's a bad day at work. You're frustrated, you're angry, you come home to your wife or your husband and they're not happy with you too. They're not pleased, they're not pleased with how you're going. You have an argument with your husband or wife and then you think, oh, heaven, can't wait for heaven. No marriage in heaven. (laughs) Well, of course we wouldn't think like that, would we? But do we think about heaven a bit too much as Christians? A few years ago, I was part of this short-term college mission out to a church. And on one of the nights of this mission, I led a Bible study to mainly elderly women, elderly ladies. And one of these ladies, she wanted to understand how can you make sense of the hope that Christians have, the hope of heaven. You see, she was struggling with this idea, struggling to convey this idea. She had a friend who was abused and neglected in terrible ways as a child. And now this friend of hers, now grown up, lived a very damaged life, a terrible life, life of drugs and prostitution. And so in this study, she asked, what hope is there for someone like her, so damaged, so broken? What hope is there in the gospel for her? And do you know what the answers were? The answers that were thrown around in this study was, well, they all sounded so similar. Just think about heaven. It's going to be perfect in heaven. But it made me reflect, do we think too much about heaven? Is that too simplistic? Was that a sufficient answer for her? And so what do you think? Do we Christians think too much of heaven? That we're, you know, so captured by the awe and wonder and glory and majesty and perfection of heaven that we just can't wait to get there? Or is it really the opposite? Is it the opposite that we Christians are so earthly minded? So earthly-minded that we've become indifferent, apathetic about our future eternal destiny. Now, I suspect that that may be more the case of many Christians living today. That the things that really fill our minds, the things that we strive for, the things that stresses us, the things that we're worried about, are really on the things that, in the end, ultimately will not last. So much so that we've actually forgotten about heaven in our daily walk. So much so that we've become complacent about the future destiny. So much so that we really end up living only for the now. Fun now. Pleasure now. Happiness now. Stuff now. Shopping now. And so what do you think? Are Christians so heavenly minded that we are of no earthly good? Well, are Christians really so earthly-minded that, that we've become apathetic about our eternal destiny? How are we meant to deal with this? How are we meant to navigate through life? How are we meant to think? Well, in this passage, you see, Paul helps us. Paul helps us in a wonderful way because he lets us in on his mind, how he navigates through life, what he sets his mind upon. And so let's look at this passage. In this passage, Paul shows us what he sets his mind on, what he sets as the goal of his life, the prize of his life, the things that he's striving for, the thing he's pursuing for with all that he is, the thing that is really important for him. And we see this right from the beginning. Look at verses 10 and 11. Paul says, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection 
and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. You see, for Paul, the big goal, the prize was looking forward to the day of his resurrection, the day when he'll be with Christ. And so he wants to know Jesus more. He wants to be like Jesus more. And he wants to enjoy life, resurrection life, with Jesus. I mean, what's on Paul's mind? They're the stuff of heaven. And why is that? Well, he knows how good it is, how good heaven is. You see, when we talk about heaven often, we talk about resurrection life, heaven, eternity with Jesus, it's actually quite hard for us to imagine, to to conceptualise what that is really like. And that's perhaps why we might not share that same desire as Paul. It's perhaps why we don't share that same longing that Paul has for heaven, that same restlessness he has for heaven. But let's take a moment and try to imagine that. Let's imagine what heaven is like. Just imagine life. Life where it is utterly sinless. Utterly sinless. Never an evil thought at all. At all. Never the hateful desire at all. Never the envious heart. Never the shameful regret at all. Imagine life like that. But a life that is always filled with purity and goodness and faithfulness and love and service and humility and grace. Imagine a life like that. And now imagine a life where the love that is expressed is untarnished in any way, unblemished in any way, undiluted in any way. A life where the love before all, between all human beings, everyone is perfectly in love. No in-groups, no cliques, no outcasts, no disunity, no disharmony. A life like that. And a life where, where the love expressed between God and man, God and us, is perfect. And there is no hindrance or restriction to God's presence. Imagine a life like that. And imagine a life where our emotions are never fickle, where our tears will never ever flow, where our sorrows will be a thing of the far past. Imagine a life like that, a life filled with joy, lasting happiness, celebration, praise, glory. Imagine a life like that. And imagine a life where we are no longer subject to the ravages of old life and illnesses and disease and cancer and death. Imagine where that is all done with. A life where there is resurrection life with Jesus in, it, in perfection for all eternity. Can you imagine that? A life like that? Well, if you can, then really that's only, only a tiny, almost inadequate glimpse of the wonder and glory of resurrection life with Jesus. You see, Paul knew that. Paul knew that and so he longed for that. But you see, in this passage, Paul was realistic. He was realistic. He, he didn't think that heaven is now, that we can have heaven now. Even though we pray in the Lord's Prayer, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, he realises that we can't get heaven now. It's not going to be perfect now. And so he longs for it. He longs for this future. He sets his mind unflinchingly towards it. And he strives towards it like a trained, disciplined athlete. And that's what we see. Look at verse 12. 
Not that I have already obtained all this or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. You see what Paul's saying here? Christian living, Christian walk with Christ, Christian endurance, Christian perseverance. It's not not so much that we have to hold on to Jesus, we do, but it's more so that Jesus holds on to us. He holds on to us and he brings us to him. That's what Paul's saying. And in verse 13 we read, Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining forward toward what is ahead. You see, imagine the life of the Apostle Paul. He would have had so many sins he would have regretted, things he was shameful of. I mean, he persecuted the church of Christ. That would have been a, a big burden he was carrying around. But like a trained athlete here, he doesn't look back. He knows his past. Jesus has paid it all. And he looks for straining forward to what is ahead. And you see, what we see here and what Paul tells us is that that is God's calling. God's calling is to call us heavenward to salvation, to him. That is God's calling. Often you hear Christians think and speak in terms of calling, in, in terms of vocational career, that, that God has called me to be an accountant or God has called me to be an engineer or God has called me to be a tax collector or God has called me to be a minister. You've heard people speak of calling in that way. But have you ever wondered why it's always, God's calling is always about the white-collar High-paying professional jobs. Why is that? Is God's calling limited to the educated, to the wealthy, to the well-to-do? What about the garbage collector? What about the very important role of the plumbers who lay down our sewage pipes? Have you ever heard anyone say, God is calling me to be a garbage collector? I mean, they're very important in our society, for our community. Without the garbage collectors, there will be far more diseases and illnesses spreading around. You see, God's calling, what we see in this passage, is far more important than vocational career. Far more important than that. God's calling is to call you heavenward, to salvation, to him. And that is what we see in verse 14. Verse 14, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. The calling of God is far more important than our jobs. It is the things of heaven. And so Paul here, he knows how good heaven is. He sets his mind on heaven. But you see, Paul didn't think that this was just good for him. Paul knows that this is good for all people, good for us as well. And so now he makes this appeal. He pleads, listen, Have this same goal as me. Imitate me. Have this same prize as your prize. You see, that idea, that appeal to the Philippian church would have been hard for them to accept. And I suspect it's perhaps hard for us to accept that what there's more prize, there's something better than what I have now. You see, Philippi was a very important Roman colony. Those in Philippi, the Christians there, they prized their Roman citizenship. They had full Roman rights and privileges. They were a bit like a a little Rome outside of Rome. 
And so they were wealthy. They were comfortable. They were well-to-do. And in a sense, it's a bit like us Australians. Some of us have this prized Australian citizenship. It's the envy of so many people in the world. And whether we feel it or not, we are wealthy, just like the Christians in Philippi. We are well-to-do and we are comfortable. But yet here Paul is appealing to them and to us, as good as life is now, as good as all these privileges you have, don't lose sight of the prize. Don't lose sight of it. This is not heaven. Heaven is the prize. And so imitate me and imitate those persevering, faithful Christians around you. You see, striving for the same prize. And that's exactly what he tells us, verses 15 to 17. All of us who are mature should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. Join with others in following my example, brothers, and take note of those who live according to the pattern we gave you. Paul's saying, imitate me, have this same prize that I'm prizing. And so Paul's appeal, Paul's plea to them and to us, don't just start well as a Christian, end well. It's how you end as a Christian that matters. And so set your mind on heavenly things. Now why was Paul so dead set on getting this message across? Why was it so important to him to make sure this message is clear? Well, it's because the consequences are deadly serious. The consequences are deadly serious. There's destruction, he tells us. There's destruction ahead for those who set their mind only on earthly things. You see, and Paul now, he writes with tears. This, this is breaking his heart as he's writing this. It breaks his heart to know that there are so many lost in this world. It, it breaks his heart that there are so many who live as enemies of Jesus. That breaks his heart. You see, enemies of the only saviour there is for this world. There are people here, he speaks of, those people who set their mind only on earthly things. He describes them where their God is their stomach. That is, they live for their indulgences. They're controlled and ruled by their passions, by food, by wine, by fleshly indulgences. They're ruled by their gut, by their bellies. And it breaks Paul's heart. Because he knows their end is destruction. And so we see verses 18 and 19. For as I have often told you, and now say again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach, their gut, and their glory is their shame. Their mind is on earthly things. And so Paul's urging them, Reminding them, don't be like those people. Live differently to those people. Don't live for your gut. Don't live for the moment. Live for the things of heaven. Don't live for the things of destruction. And so Paul reminds him, don't be like those people. But instead, remember who you are. Remember your home, where you really belong. Remember your calling. You're a citizen of heaven if you believe in Jesus. If you trust in Jesus, you're a citizen of heaven. And so he tells us in these final verses, but our citizenship is in heaven, in verse 20, as we eagerly await a saviour from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, 
who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. And so it's Paul saying, long for that day, eagerly await for that day. But in the meantime, as you still live on this earth, as good as life might be in Rome, in Philippi, as good as life might be being a citizen of Australia, you've got something far better to look forward to, far better. You're a citizen of heaven. You can't buy that with money. You're a citizen of heaven. That's your true home. And so if that is who you are and where you belong, then live like it. Live like you're a citizen of heaven. Live a life fitting of heaven. That is your higher calling. You see, according to Paul, this apostle, the problem for Christians is not so much that we are too heavenly minded, but the problem often for Christians is that we're too earthly minded and not heavenly minded enough. And so I wonder whether that might be the case for us here, for our church, for us who are new to this church, for us who have been Christians for decades. Is that the case for us here, where we value too much, too highly, the stuff, the things, the purchases, the pleasures, the indulgences of just this world? I mean, we're citizens of heaven. That's God's calling. You see, I always find it helpful to, once in a while, to, to get a heavenly perspective of life on earth, to get a, an eternal perspective of life on earth. And so hopefully this will be helpful for, for you. Imagine eternity is represented by this pulpit, okay, this wooden pulpit, but imagine it, it actually extends forever. It, it represents eternity, so it goes out those doors, down Cannon Row, it, this wooden pulpit keeps on going, passes down and on, keeps on going to, I don't know, New Zealand, and keeps on going. It represents eternity, it never ends, does it? Never ends. Just imagine that. My sermon won't go for eternity, but this pulpit, just imagine that. Now, now imagine your life. What's the life that God grants you or what, what God will grant you? It might be 70 years. It might be 80 years. It might be 90 years. But let's say your life on earth, this pulpit goes on for eternity, this wooden pulpit. Your life is represented by this black tape, 70, 80, 90 years. And that's your life there. That's your life. Compared to eternity, what's your life? But you see how silly it is if, if my focus in life, the energy, the effort I pour in, the things that stresses me, the things that worries me, the things I live for, are only for this bit. How silly is that? Look at all that. Look at eternity. What about the rest that God has planned for us? If my concern and worry is just about those 60, 70, 80 years, then I've really wasted my life. I haven't really lived my life to the full. And so when, when Christians think you know, that, that little blip compared to eternity is what I live for, how foolish. Or when we Christians think if I flunk my VCE, if I don't get into the course I dream of, then I've really failed in life. Have you? It's just that bit. You've got the rest of eternity. Or when, when Christians think, oh, I've missed out on that career opportunity or that promotion I deserve, I've really mucked up my life. Oh, I'm terrible. I feel terrible. I, I feel so depressed. But really, it's, it's just that little bit compared to eternity. Or, or when, when Christians think, oh, I, I never, I've never 
got married. I've remained single for my whole life and my life is, is ruined because I'm not married. Really? It's just that little black tape compared to eternity. What is that? Or when Christians think, if I don't fulfil my dreams of a life of adventure and travel, then I've missed out on life. Really? It's just that little black tape. Compared to eternity, what is that? And so, as Christians, it is always worth once in a while to reflect on eternity, to consider the prize Paul is getting us to consider, to strive towards that prize. You see, if I belong to heaven, if I'm a citizen of heaven, if I'm a disciple of Jesus, then I actually make use of that little black tape. I make use of my time now. I don't waste it away living for myself. I don't waste it away. I make use of it. And that's why Christians, in the eyes of so many in this world, they'll look at us Christians and they think, you crazy people, why would anyone do what you're doing? I mean, think about it. Who would pluck their family out of the comfort, the security, the, 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 the privileges, the wealth of Australia and move the family to another place in the world? Who would do such a thing to proclaim the gospel uh, to a place where there is no comfort like there is in Australia, where there's no education system like there is in Australia, where there is no health care like there is in Australia? Who would do that? Pluck their family, leave their home in Australia, leave their family in Australia. We see our mission partners, many of them have done that. The Campbells with their two little girls. I mean, they've forsaken the wonderful education and healthcare we've got in this country to a place in the Middle East. The, the, the Denesses and their four young kids, they've forsaken their, their wonderful healthcare, the comfort, the privileges we enjoy here to go to Nepal. I mean, who would do that? You see, they see that little black tape in perspective. They're not living just for that black tape. Who would do that? Well, those who know that their citizenship is in heaven, they would do such a thing. And who would leave their lucrative career as a surgeon in Australia and move to Burkina Faso to serve there as a surgeon not for wealth, not for fame, to serve there for over 40 years, to establish a hospital, to serve, in fact, millions, to be the only surgeon around there. Who would do such a thing? Have you been reading the news? Recently, Ken and Jocelyn Elliott, who've been serving in Burkina Faso, they were kidnapped. One of them's been released, Jocelyn's been released, but Ken is still kidnapped. Who would do that? Well, they would do that. And why? They know with certainty that their citizenship is in heaven, is not on this earth, is not that black tape. They know. You see, if my citizenship is in heaven, then I live now as a citizen of heaven. I don't waste my life away living for myself, living for this world. I live now longing for heaven. It will be great and will be something that will just blow our minds. And I live now not wasting my life away. Now, have you been to a funeral where you get that sense of feeling where that person who passed away did not waste his or her life? Been to a funeral like that? Last year I attended a funeral of my, my sister-in-law's father. He was a Presbyterian minister here in Victoria, served for many years. 
But he died, a relatively young man, only in his 50s, killed by the ravages of cancer, taken his life away. But at this funeral, listening to my sister-in-law's eulogy about her father, she said he was a man who's never been on an overseas trip. He lived over 50 years, never been on a plane overseas. He was a man who lived 50 years and never purchased a house. I mean, in the eyes of the world, it would sound like he wasted his life. He, he forgot the you know, black tape over there. He didn't do anything in that black tape. Sound like he wasted his life. How sad. But did he waste his life? As I listened to that eulogy, well, he was a man who did not invest in that black tape, who saw eternity in perspective. He invested in the things of heaven, served the Lord faithfully, preached the gospel wholeheartedly, and he will reap those rewards. And he'll get to enjoy that for all eternity. He'll reap that. You see, he had all this ahead of him. And so can you be so heavenly minded that you are of no earthly good? I don't think so. The more heavenly minded you are, the more heavily you invest in this life in heavenly things as you walk your walk and your walk of faith with our Lord. Now C.S. Lewis, he knew this, the great author, very famous author, he realised this and he said this. He said, If you read history, you will find that the Christians who did most for the present world were precisely those who thought most of the next. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they have become so ineffective in this. The apostles themselves who set on foot the conversion of the Roman Empire, the great men who built up the Middle Ages, the English evangelicals who abolished the slave trade and all left their mark on earth, precisely because their mind were occupied with heaven. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think about the other world that they have become so ineffective in this. Aim at heaven and you'll get earth thrown in. Aim at earth and you'll get neither. Now, do you believe that? I'm sure you do. But will you live it? Not for that black tape, but for all eternity with that in view. What's my prayer that we will? Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you that you, in your kindness, have given us a glimpse of eternity, of the bliss of eternal life, resurrection life, with our Lord and Saviour. We look and long for that day, O come Lord Jesus. But in the meantime, help us to live this life, not wasting our life away, but living with eternity in view, living as citizens of heaven, knowing and trusting that. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.